Um, This morning we are in Nehemiah 4. Uh, We are reading verses 1 through 15. Yes, 14. 1 through 14. Now when Sambalat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads, and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. God, thank you so much for today. I just pray for Joel as he comes to share with us that you will be that you will speak through him, that it will be your words, not his. And I pray for the rest of us that are listening in, that are about to receive this message, that our hearts will just be ready to receive what you have for us, that our ears will be open to hear what you have for us. Pray that we will just have the right spirit as we come and study your word today. In your name, amen. Well, good morning. (laughs) Let's try that again. Good morning. Good morning. It's, it's great to get to share the word with you today. And um, as I do, as I, as I share the word with you this morning, I just wanted to, to take a moment and encourage you to be reading this, this wider passage. We've been in Nehemiah a couple of weeks. We're going to be in Nehemiah a few weeks more. I think that this is a great story. The Bible is full of great stories. It's a collection of great stories. People have said the Bible, the Bible is a collection of stories rather than a systematic theology. What that means is rather than a collection of 
thoughts, thinking, right thinking, and instruction on what to do and how to live, and instruction in perfect theology and what that would look like for you to grasp that, understand it, and hold on to that, instead of that, God's given his children a collection of stories. Stories that stir faith, courage, hope, joy, that share in great losses, afflictions, wars, famine, pestilence. It's all in there. Our collection of stories is is more than just a collection of stories. It's the history of the people of God. It's more than just a collection of stories. It's hope in hardship. It's faith in the fight. It's a reminder of the restoring power of God. That God can see broken things rebuilt. Things that have been destroyed, restored. Things that are old, renewed. We're kind of coming to the pinnacle of this story. I don't know if you've caught on to that yet. There's a couple of high points in this story. This is one of them. There's a couple of choice phrases. One of my favorite of these phrases are, what are those feeble Jews doing? What are those feeble Jews doing? Well, what are they doing? Let's answer that question. They are working hard. I think sometimes we give people a false sense of what it's going to be like to be a Christian. They're surprised when it's hard. There are times in our lives when it is hard. Hard things aren't apart from the will of God. When things are hard, that doesn't mean that God has lost his way. Because when we practice faithfulness, we see the fullness of God's goodness. When we practice faithfulness, we see the work of God on display in our lives in truly unique and special ways. And when we, when we do hard things excellently for God, we give glory to him. And you see, excellence doesn't look like we think excellence is going to look like so many times. I really don't think it's about doing things perfectly, but with a right heart. And that's what I see in this story. I see people who are fully committed to the work of God. And so that's my big challenge to you this morning. I know I've not even made it out of the blocks. We've not even got to my three points. And here's the challenge. Normally we end on the challenge, something to think about. But here's the challenge. Are you living fully committed to the work of God in your life? Are you living fully committed to the work of God in your life? This is a great challenge to us because the answer is always yes and no. I think sometimes people think the answer is yes, and the Bible talks a lot about humbling ourselves before the Lord. 
And I think when we think the answer is yes, humbling ourselves before the Lord is the right thing to do. Asking the Lord, as the psalmist says, search my heart, O Lord, search my heart. Find those areas where my heart is wayward, where it's not right, where I need more of you, and inviting the Lord in. When we say, no, no, I'm not living fully committed, I think we're, we're acknowledging that there's still room to improve. Perhaps we're acknowledging that we're living in open rebellion to God and we need to work on that. Or perhaps we're just saying, not as fully as I would like. What I see from this story is that the people of God are all in. You see, radical redemption requires radical faith. The task is too big for them to be half-hearted. I'm going to say that again. The task before them is too big for them to be half-hearted. It takes a humble servant heart. That's what it looks like to do hard things excellently. Humble service before God. It's not what we might think it looks like. I think so many times we imagine what the best ministry, what the best platform, the best opportunity to serve might be. And and doing things humbly and excellently for the Lord, doing them in a servant-hearted way, is such a kingdom value. It's so So it is other from our natural perspective. I think this story bears some parallel between what it looks like to see a church go through a process like we're going through. We might not all have realized how big of a job it is to to look after a church, to invest in its ongoing kind of process whether we think of that as more revitalization or replanting, but it's a challenge. As Nehemiah surveys the walls before they begin the job of rebuilding, I wonder if he really had a sense of how big of a job that was going to be. I think we will never appreciate how big the work of God is in our lives until our lives are complete. And in the same way, the people are looking at the job, the job of rebuilding, the job that the Lord has placed before them, and they're looking at the work, and I imagine that they must have felt daunted. I imagine as they began to think about rebuilding these walls, the job before them seemed huge. I wonder if they felt any more confident once they'd been broken down and given a specific task to do. Perhaps they did, perhaps they didn't. But as they start looking at the job in front of them, the piece that they're going to be working on, I wonder what was running through their minds. As this story goes on, we find that the enemies all around present such a risk that they end up carrying their swords at all times, ready to wield a sword with one hand and the trowel rebuilding the walls in the other. I think that's a beautiful metaphor for the Christian life. 
a beautiful piece of imagery, a beautiful thought that we need to, to wrestle with. We need to understand what are we building and how are we fighting. You see, when we're fighting with the Word of God, just as Shelby mentioned this morning in Ephesians, putting on the full armour of God, the Word of God like a sword in our hand, what does it look like for us to be doing our part? What does it look like if we imagine ourselves in this story? What would that look like if we imagine ourselves in our story? The lives that we're living here and now. Perhaps you feel daunted by the world at the moment. The world's a strange place, isn't it? Sometimes I wonder if that isn't to serve as a, a further reminder that it isn't really our home. Sometimes we can get too comfortable here and other times we struggle to feel like we fit. And so I would just encourage us to continue to pray, commit our hand to the work of God, to see what God can do through you when you continually come before the Lord and say, here I am, use me. I wonder if these people prayed that or if they already so clearly belonged to the Lord. That was self-evident. What's clear is that they're all in. They have a job to do. They know what's going to happen next. They're going to rebuild the walls. And so with their, their family and friends around them, there they are building the peace that they're building. Building the peace that they're building. Undeterred. Setting aside distraction. Focusing on the job at hand. And can I make just one critical observation to you in relation to that? While these people are all in, and I think that they so clearly are. The enemies can see that they're all in. That's why they're critical of them. What are these feeble Jews attempting to do? What are they building? Even a fox climbing would break it down. They're trying to discourage them. They see what they're doing and they're talking badly about them. In fact, they cry out to God, Hear us, for we are despised turn their insults back on them. They know that they are all in. And yet they are persevering. And so I would make this just one critical observation to you. The difference between their situation and yours is Jesus Christ. You see, these people are working, they're all in, but they don't know what the outcome might be. They're crying out to the Lord for his deliverance, not knowing if it's going to go their way or not. Not knowing how this is going to end up. Hoping, waiting, wondering. Those of us here this morning know that we, we're trusting in the goodness of God. We here know that we are walking in the victory of Jesus. We here this morning know that when we place our hope in Jesus, we needn't fear.
They're pressed on every side, but not crushed, afflicted, but not defeated. Not perfect, but trying, living and dying for the work of the Lord. It's a mighty high standard to be a part of the family of faith and consider those who have gone before us placing their hope and trust in God. These are our family stories. This is the legacy that we have joined. This is the family of faith to which we belong. People who do mighty things for God with simple obedience, hope and faithfulness. You see, there are insults that come their way, these words that hold power over them, that drag them down, that make them despair and they cry out to God. Isn't that always what we're meant to do? When we worry, we're meant to cry out to God. When we're struggling, we cry out to God and God hears. And their words, the words of their enemies don't have the power to pull down the walls But words can be so heavy. Words can carry such power. Words can so easily discourage and disappoint. And so they cry out to God. They ask for him to vindicate them, to be faithful to them, to turn their enemies' words back on themselves. And I'm just struck that words don't win wars, but faithfulness does. Because Jesus has already won the victory. And in their case, they're trusting in the Lord God, his good character and fame. They're hiding in their strong tower, their refuge and strength, the Lord Almighty. And so they cry out. They call on the Lord in prayer. Perhaps this morning you need to be calling out to the Lord in prayer. Perhaps you're struggling. Perhaps, perhaps you're waiting on the victory of God to become evident in your life. I think it's so easy to forget that we have an enemy. We here this morning have an enemy. We have an enemy. There is an enemy who wants to see us torn down. There's an enemy who wants to see us give up. There's an enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. There's an enemy who's been plotting and scheming to see division and heartache, to see pain and strife, to see death and destruction in your life and in the life of the church. And that enemy is prowling around. In this story, the, the enemy seems just ever so present. The people know about the enemy because they can hear the jeers. They know that there is an enemy because they're mocking them because they're crying out to them. Sometimes I wonder if 
in our current day and age, we forget that we have an enemy because our enemy isn't standing outside the gates jeering at us. But the enemy is present, working to see us dragged down, to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the Word says about the enemy of our souls. Jesus comes that we might have life and life to the full, and the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The adversary in this story, the enemy in this story, means that the people have to be ready for a fight. They have to be ready for a fight. They have to prepare themselves. Shelby mentioned this morning Ephesians and being ready for that fight. That famous passage he alluded to, talking about the full armour of God, putting on the full armour of God, being ready for that fight. Are we ready for a fight? And who are we fighting? You see, when the... When the enemy is stood on your boundary shouting things at you, it's easy to identify your enemy. When the enemy is prowling around stirring up division, it's harder to fight the right enemy. When we come into the house of God, we have a moment of peace in the presence of the Lord. Time and again, Jesus tells us, don't let your hearts be troubled. A great old hymn says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. This is what we do. This is how we fight our battles. We put our hope and faith and trust in the one whose name is above every name. In this story, they also cry out to God. They're not living in, in the light of Christ and yet their faith in God is complete. When they put their hope in him, he moves. He moves on their behalf. When challenges come, they persevere. And I don't mean to give away a spoiler, but spoiler alert. As they persevere, they achieve what God has set them up for. What they have set out to do, they achieve. Because it was never their plan, it was God's plan. And in a moment of challenge, in a moment of strife, in a moment of heartache, it can be so easy to give up on hope. It can be so easy to back away from walking out the faithfulness that we need to practice. It can be so easy to take a step back and go, wow, this is, this is all a bit, bit much. But where we practice faithfulness, I believe that there is a blessing. And the blessing is that the promises of God will never be frustrated. The promises of God will never be frustrated. I wonder how many times believers have given up on the promises of God before they have been fulfilled in their lives. One great story in the New Testament talks about Demas, who runs off in love with this present world. He runs off. He's overcome. 
I wonder what the promises were on his life. I wonder what the challenges were that made him feel like that was the right option. And I wonder where he would have been. What would have been the account of his story had he stayed the course? As this passage goes on, it says, remember the Lord. And I, and I guess this is what I would say to you this morning. If you, if you hear nothing else, if you found that you've kind of zoned out and you're, you're just wondering, is this a good moment to tune back in? This is, this is a great moment to tune back in. If you're going to hear one thing this morning, hear this. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. Remember the Lord. I want to encourage you to remember the Lord. In whatever you're going through at the moment, whatever struggles you're wrestling with in your life, remember God. I really believe that God's got this. It's more than just a cute hashtag, it's a spiritual reality. So often we start designing the solution to our problems rather than trusting in the faithfulness of the Father. And when we forget the faithfulness of the Father, when we start designing the solutions to our own problems, we don't recognize the purpose and power of God at work in our lives because we're too busy imagining what the solution might look like. And so this reminder to remember God, God's got this God first, that in the struggle we learn faith and faithfulness. Another great passage talks about how suffering produces perseverance, which produces hope, which ultimately produces faith. I hear time and again from parents in and outside of churches that they want their children to be happy. And I think, no, you don't. Not if you want them to grow up and know. You can't afford to just be happy. You can't afford to, to live a life and let happiness be the, the matrices for success. Because when it is, when happiness is the standard by which we're living our lives, we're not living for the Lord. And so just as this passage says, remember God, It goes on to say who God is. Who is God? God is great. Who is God? God is awesome. Who is God? Who is God? If I could leave you with one more question this morning. There it is. Who is Say that God is. And as you wrestle with that question, I just challenge you to, to pray about that, to seek the Lord, to not grow weary in doing good, but to pursue the Lord with your whole heart, to persevere, to remember that you're in a battle. 
and that the, the matrices for success, the way to work out whether you're winning or losing, the way to work out whether this is going well or not, the way to, the way to get through, It's to trust in God. Lean not on your own understandings. Place your faith, your hope, your life in his hands. To take up your cross daily and follow in the way of Christ. To choose to do hard things excellently. Not excellently from a human perspective, not perfect, not perfectionism, but doing hard things excellently, walking out our faith with an excellent spirit, trusting and hoping in God. Who is God? Well, as a kid growing up in church, we used to sing, have we made our God too small? He made the heavens and earth and he reigns on high. And he's got the time for you and I. Just from the rhyming alone, you know it was cheesy. It was cheesy, but it was true. We can't afford to let God be small in our lives. We can't start answering that question of who is God and it being less than he's our loving heavenly father. He's the king of heaven and earth. And this passage goes on. And I just want to draw one more thing to your attention. One final thing. You know, so far we've seen that there's an enemy. We've been challenged to answer this question. Are you fully committed to the work of God in your life? We've considered this question of prayer, the challenge to respond to the challenges in life, the challenges of faith, the challenges of church, our story, the challenges therein to respond in faith and in faith by prayer. Seeking the Lord, trusting in him, relying on his strength, and then to remember God to remember who he is, to remember why that matters, to remember who it is we're crying out to in prayer. The king of heaven and earth, that's who hears our prayers. And then it says to fight for your family. To fight for your family. Can I challenge you to be fighting for your family in prayer this week? And I don't just mean your biological family. I don't just mean the people that you live with. I mean the family of faith. Your biological family too. Those people that you love and cherish. Those friends that are truly special to you. Those people who are like adopted family. Those people that you include in part of the richness of life that God has bestowed upon you. The blessing that is whoever those people are. For some of you, that might be godparents. Others of you, that might be godchildren. For some of you, that might be best friends, neighbours, colleagues. 
husbands, wives, children, parents, grandparents even, perhaps going the other way, grandchildren even. Fight for your family. Fight for your church family. Let's pray for one another. Let's be known for being a praying church. If you want to have a strong church, a strong family of faith, then you can only take responsibility for your part in that. And prayer is the answer. As I'm coming into close, let me just let me just ask you to be praying for one thing. Hopefully I've convinced you that prayer is the way that we fight our battles. We pray because we're speaking to the King of heaven and earth. I think in our modern construct, our modern understanding of faith, it's easy to become over-familiar with God. And in doing so, I think I've heard people in church, not just this church, but the church, collective noun there, big capital C, inverted commas. <laughs> I've heard people talking about their Heavenly Father. And I think sometimes familiarity breeds contempt. We've heard that before. I think it's easy to grow familiar with the person of God. In fact, I think God wants us to grow familiar with him. I think he delights in spending time with us. He delights in us talking to him about everything and anything. But my challenge to you, my question, my request is what are you praying for? I think it's so easy to present God with a list of requests. Lord, would you give us this? Would you give us that? Would you give us the other? Even in this story, Lord God, get them, <laughs> they pray. Turn their insults, their jibes around, flip them about and set them back on them. Turn this upside down. Make this go our way instead of their way. How many times have we prayed that prayer? And so I just challenge you to pray just as Jesus taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And let me just reassure you. When you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. I really don't think that there is anything more profound that you could be praying than asking for the Lord to establish his kingdom in your heart, in your home, in our church, in our world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know, it, it is the very basis of humility. Not my will, but yours. Be done, he cried. Because when we pray prayers of faith, when we pray prayers of humility, when we pray prayers the way Jesus taught us to pray, and we have that distinct advantage over the people in this story. We're praying in the light of Christ. 
in prayer, incredible things happen. And it's not because of the power of prayer in and of itself. The power of prayer is not in the prayer itself, but in the person you are asking, the King of heaven and earth. If you're troubled about something, take it to the Lord in prayer. If you've got a need, take it to the Lord in prayer. If you're grateful for something, take it to the Lord in prayer. If you're not sure what to pray, take it to the Lord in prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day what? Our daily bread. Not every victory, not everything we need for the full month, but today, day by day, his grace and mercy new every morning. I wonder how many days these people woke up thinking, is this the day that the Lord blesses us? Or is this the day our enemy attacks us? And you know, both can be true in the same day. But the victory belongs to the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. I hope you'd pray with me this morning by just giving me a hearty amen as we wrap up if you're in agreement with what I'm saying. Friends, let's pray. Father God, we all have adversities in life. Whether it's people running us down, hurling insults, or just challenges in our coming and going. Father, we all have need of you. We all have challenges that we would see you move amongst. We all have a reason to pray. And so this morning as we seek you in prayer, as we hope and trust in you, as we cry out to you, our refuge and strength, our friend and hope, our deliverer. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember who you are when adversity comes our way. We pray that you would help us to fight for our families, just as you teach us in your word. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember who you are as we seek you in prayer. And Father, we pray that you would help us to remember that the victory is already won in Christ. And so as we bless and praise your name, as we continue to hope and trust in you, as we commit ourselves to you both today and every day. And as we wait upon the Lord, as we seek you for our church, as we cry out to you in need and hope, in suffering and strength, 
Father, we pray that you would come close. Help us to answer this question of, are we really living lives fully committed to you? Father, we want to live lives fully committed to you. We want to be all in on your plan. On the purposes of Jesus in our lives. And Father, while we have an enemy, we thank you that we have a saviour. We thank you for Jesus. Help us to persevere when challenges come. Help us to practice faith. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that suffering produces perseverance, which produces faith. Deepen our faith. Help us to hope in you, not in ourselves. And to remember that you are God. Over it all, you are God. We thank you that Jesus has already won this victory in our life, in all of our lives, and in the life of our church, that the victory belongs to the Lord. We give you praise. King Jesus. Amen.